Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today on the show, author and UFO researcher, Paul Blake Smith. So this gives us another clue that communications were ongoing during the first year, and this was set up in advance. Uh, there were apparently even film cameras there recording the event. I've put together in my book a couple of sources who have said they've seen the film footage. Some of it's in black and white and some of it's in color that show the extraterrestrials looking a good deal like human beings walking up to Eisenhower and greeting him in an airplane hangar at Edwards Air Force Base. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here, and before we get to this week's interview... It's time again to send a very special thank you out to all of our new Patreon subscribers. Let's waste no time, here we go. Justin B., James, John Grunwell, Craig L., John C. K., No R., Scott M., J.B.A., Daniel P., Norma P., Scott L., Matthew R., John W., J.B.A., Luis T., Joe L., Idiot McStupid Face, Yep, that's the only name I was given. We also have Josh N., The Musician, Kevin H.K., Luis J., Kevin K., Liza G., the Can't Make This Up History Podcast, a blue second-gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Whew, we got some interesting names this time. Anyways, continuing, we also have John D., Ryan H., Jason F., Joshua I., Christy G., Aaron D., and Marie K. Thank you to each and every one of you, past and present, for any support you've given the show through Patreon, one-time Acast supporter contributions, and through merch and book sales. You truly make the show possible. If you would like to become a patron and to learn more, visit patreon.com slash skies. And now, let's get to this week's interview. It's a story that has circulated in and out of the UFO community for years. Did former U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower have a meeting, or several meetings, with extraterrestrials? It's been said that Eisenhower interrupted his vacation in Palm Springs, California, to make a secret nocturnal trip to nearby Edwards Air Force Base to meet a race of aliens who wanted to make a deal. But what exactly was that deal? Did Eisenhower go for it? What happened before, during, or after this alleged meeting? And of course, did any of this actually happen? Today, we talk to UFO researcher and author Paul Blake Smith who has heavily researched this entire affair in a new book titled President Eisenhower's Close Encounters. He walks us through that tumultuous weekend where not only did Ike possibly meet with aliens, but he also had an emergency dental appointment and in the night in question, the Associated Press reported that Ike died of a heart attack, retracting the story only moments later. No matter what, it was a hell of a weekend for the 34th president of the United States, and one that many have included as a historic moment in both UFO and American history. And after hearing this interview and reading Paul's book, you just might come out on the other side thinking, 
Huh, this might have actually happened. Enjoy. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. So, you know, full disclosure, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, your most recent book, President Eisenhower's Close Encounters, I had the immense pleasure and honor of contributing the foreword to. So I'm really excited to dig into this story, man. I mean, this is one of the, you know, those stories in UFO lore that never goes away. And a lot of people think there's nothing to it. But lo and behold, here comes probably, correct me if I'm wrong, the first book to cover this in depth. Am I right? That's right. I would see this uh, topic discussed on uh, like ancient aliens and uh, alien files decoded or MUFON hangar one. They all give it some serious airplay for a couple minutes and then nothing. And I'm watching this over the years and thinking, where is a book on this? It should be the most amazing story in human history, if at least uh, American history. So I got fed up and uh, tired of waiting, and I decided I'll write it myself. So here we have the results. It's getting good reviews, and I thank Ryan for writing the foreword, as he just mentioned. Oh, absolutely, man. It was my pleasure. Again, like this was one of those stories, you know, I heard whispers of it throughout the years of being into this topic. And you always kind of laugh or shrug it off like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's like the whole Jackie Gleason seeing a dead body or, you know, the Aztec UFO crash. But again, like what you were able to uncover and dig up um, documents, files, testimonies about this. But uh, before we kind of get to that, I have to ask you, this is your first time being on Somewhere in the Skies, and this is the origin story question. You know, for many of my listeners and viewers who might not be too familiar with you, Paul, tell us a little about yourself, if you don't mind. What got you first interested in the UFO topic? Well, I was born and raised and educated in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, a name that should be the most famous place in the whole world because we had a UFO crash six years before Roswell mm -hmm. in April of 1941, and it got hushed up pretty good. And uh, over the years, around the turn of the century, I began hearing, hearing uh, more about this and wondering, well, where is a book on this subject? And I, being a resident for so many years, I'm not now, uh, I decided to explore and investigate and put together my own book. And I had so much material. I had a, a sequel uh, that was uh, moderately successful, and I sure wish we could get some uh, uh, documentary filmmakers into Cape Girardeau and, and really explore this subject. However, I confess to this day I'm not 100% sure of the crash site. There's no physical remains. Uh, we've got a few documented uh, uh, references to uh, these great recoveries and wonders that came to us in the Missouri recovery of 1941 in uh, some material that's been uh, unearthed by uh, Ryan Wood. And uh, I'd like to know more about it, uh, even though I've written two books. And occasionally I get a little uh, message on my Facebook page, but not too much. So after that, uh, I was digging into UFO stories to write that and the sequel, and I kept running into that subject that has intrigued me since the 1980s. Eisenhower went to an airbase and met <laughs> aliens? Wow, that is like the greatest story, if true, and I want to know all about that. So I wrote this book and a few others in between, and uh, I hope to have one on President Nixon and Jackie Gleason. And I think there's something of substance there, but I don't know if I'm going to have quite enough material to put together a whole book. Oh, that's what you think, man. I mean, what you were able to <laughs> uncover for this one, uh, I have no doubt if it's out there, you're going to be the one to find it. But, um, well, let's, let's kind of dive right in. So for some of our younger listeners, could you maybe kind of paint a picture for us of who Eisenhower was first as a person? and how he was perceived by the American people, you know, during his presidency, before we even get to this uh, infamous, I guess, meeting. Dwight Eisenhower uh, became very, very famous during World War II as the Allied commander in Europe. He was FDR's number one man, holding together all the Allied forces and the commanding generals and clashing personalities, getting us all on the same page, 
focused on defeating the Nazis, and it worked brilliantly. Eisenhower was hailed as a national hero, received a uh, ticker tape parade in his honor, just him, in New York City. And he would attract crowds when he went out in public. He wasn't quite like Elvis or the Beatles, but he did have uh, an enormous amount of fame, adoration, respect, popularity, so much so that... Um, his friends suggested that at one point he should uh, leave the Truman administration and run for president himself. Uh, Ike became uh, uh, Harry Truman's army chief of staff and served in a couple of other positions in the post-war era of the late 1940s. And by 52, he became convinced that he should run for president. And that brings us to our first UFO story I thought I would mention. Uh, it was yes. uh, a story that was printed in 1997 in the U or rather the New York Post, and it said, I was serving on the USS Franklin Roosevelt, a warship in the um, English Channel off the coast of France in uh, early 1952, probably in the first few days, and General Dwight Eisenhower was our guest. He came up from below decks during a rather violent storm. The ship was rocking and he couldn't sleep. I'd like to picture Ike in his pajamas and robe, maybe... Uh, <laughs> with an empty mug in his hand because they said they gave him some coffee and were standing around the bridge of the SS Roosevelt, which was a nuclear weapon-holding uh, ship. And suddenly someone looked out the window and saw your typical UFO, a circular craft. It was uh, silver and shiny, and it was pouring rain, and lightning would light up the place, and they could all clearly see it just hovering over the ship. And you would think most UFO sightings go on for, what, 15 seconds, mm -hmm. less than a minute? Uh, the author of the story in the New York Post said Ike and the crew sat there and watched this thing for at least 10 minutes. No one panicked. Uh, I'd like to think maybe somebody got out a camera, but there wasn't any report of any film footage taken. It was, this was the graveyard shift in the middle of the night. And the, uh, the craft showed no aggressive moves. It just kind of sat there in the sky, despite high winds, lightning, thunder, heavy rain, rocking seas. Uh, the boat was uh, going up and down a little. And uh, it was just uh, so amazing. This man said that Eisenhower told them all to keep it to themselves and that he would check into it when he went back below decks after the uh, encounter was over. And he's, uh, the author of the article said, we never heard about it again. We, keep, we kept our mouths shut, but he was getting older by 1997. He wanted the story out, so he had it printed in the New York uh, newspaper. And it gives you an indication of, well, what was it that from early 1952 that convinced Eisenhower to go ahead and run for president? Uh, I don't know if this uh, UFO sighting was a big factor, but you never know. It sounds like something of great impact, doesn't it? It does. And I mean, it kind of sets the stage for, you know, we start with just a sighting and then we move, you know, it progresses to close encounter. So let's let's move to that, Paul. Um, can you paint us a picture of the meeting, the first quote unquote meeting with alleged extraterrestrials? How was the meeting set up? And um, yeah, yeah, maybe run us through a little bit of that, if you don't mind. All right. Well, Dwight Eisenhower ran for president in the fall of 52. He won in a landslide and spent his first year in office wrapping up the Korean War. He was super popular. The economy was doing fairly well. And he decided to go on vacation to Georgia to hunt quail. And a few days later, uh, flew out to uh, Palm Springs, California, over 2,000 miles from Washington, D.C. to Palm Springs just to play golf for a few days. In itself, that's a pretty sus suspicious uh, cover story. And it was a cover story, although Eisenhower did play golf. Everyone knew he loved golf. He almost always uh, just flew down the coast to Augusta, Georgia, which is right near the border of South Carolina. And he used to uh, go golfing at the Augusta National uh, Golf Club, which famously hosts the Masters, and Ike loved it so much down there. His supporters built him a house on the course. Right. He played that course obsessively over the years. So it becomes even more strange and suspicious that he just had to fly all the way out to the Mojave Desert in California, not far from Edwards Air Force Base, and, and shoot some golf with some old cronies. He stayed at the um, Palm Springs uh, vacation spot called the Smoke Tree Ranch, 
And he didn't do too much else besides uh, hit some golf balls and he signed a few papers, a few uh, laws into uh, existence in a small office they set up for him at the ranch. And then on Friday night, uh, there was a big party at the El Mirador Hotel in Palm Springs where the media were staying. And that became somewhat significant in that it got them all distracted. Everyone was invited and encouraged to attend the party. And Eisenhower was not there, and his top aides were not there. No one really seemed to question this at the time, but I feel that's the night Eisenhower was driven to an airfield and flown out to Edwards Air Force Base in the uh, Mojave Desert, a very remote location. And uh, this was only after he was given the go-ahead that aliens were uh, landed and friendly and the coast was clear to uh, to arrive and be greeted safely. Now, if you or I were president of the United States and were golfing and extraterrestrials landed in five different spaceships, as they did at uh, Edwards, uh, if we were president, we would be hustled out of there so fast it would make your head spin. <laughs> right. So you've got to believe this was all premeditated, and I go into my book on how this could have been put together a military uh, scientific program in which uh, extraterrestrials were contacted through high-frequency radio waves, uh, apparently using a binary code. And it was apparently someone possibly familiar to Eisenhower, someone who might have appeared in their spaceship in January of 52 off the uh, coast of France uh, mm. when Eisenhower was uh, on the helm. Now, that's just speculation, I admit. But Eisenhower didn't panic there. And it kind of goes back to a little story I pieced together from 1948 to 1949 involving the Aztec uh, New Mexico UFO crash. I'll skip over that just for a little bit and mention uh, Congressman Henry McElroy from New Hampshire, who has a video on YouTube. You can watch it, I believe, to this day from, I think, 2010. And he reads a, uh, a little statement he's got, and he says, I read the file, a secret, you know, Army classified file that says the military was in contact with extraterrestrials in a communication program back and forth going on during the first year of the Eisenhower administration. The report concluded that they felt it was safe for Eisenhower to go and meet these um, extraterrestrial beings in person. And the congressman adds, it is my understanding that he did go. So this gives us another clue that communications were ongoing during the first year. And this was set up in advance. Uh, Eisenhower stayed at a friend's house at the Smoke Tree Ranch. And it was uh, set up with a special uh, bedroom, special quarters for the president and the first lady. Special phone lines were installed and uh, quarters for the Secret Service. So this had to have been put together quite well in advance as a right. premeditated event, not uh, a sudden spur of the moment, because as I've said, if we were president, we would be um, put on a plane and flown out of the region so quickly that uh, it would be due to security concerns because we wouldn't have known if the aliens were friendly or if this was a kind of Trojan horse if they landed. Uh, but in this case, everything seems to have been set up in advance. Uh, there were apparently even film cameras there recording the event. I've put together in my book a couple sources who have said they've seen the film footage. Some of it's in black and white and some of it's in color that show the extraterrestrials looking a good deal like human beings walking up to Eisenhower and greeting him in an airplane hangar at Edwards Air Force Base. All right. Yeah. So, I mean... Even Paul, I mean, I know even you could admit as the author of the book, like this is a lot to take in, you know, this entire right. event. But let's let's maybe clarify and, and clear up some of the misconceptions first and foremost. You know, in my mind, when I first heard this story when I was younger, I envisioned the, you know, the three foot tall grays with big black eyes. But right. this this didn't 
seemed to be the case, and you found something really interesting that I was not aware of called the Army Manual 101. So I'd love if you could maybe give us a little idea of what that is. Maybe tell us a little about um, who else was at this meeting. You know, we it wasn't just Eisenhower. Obviously, there were the camera crew. There were other, I would assume, military people and, and aides to the president. So, yeah, could you tell us a little first about Army Manual 101 and then who else was allegedly at this meeting? Uh, the Army Manual we are familiar with and many people in the UFO community are familiar with uh, was printed in April of 54, which means it was probably right in the aftermath of the Eisenhower encounter from February 19th. And it states that uh, communication and contact has been made. And it states that um, uh, extraterrestrials come in various uh, shapes or forms. And it gives a description of someone who I think landed and spoke to Eisenhower. They were about five feet tall. Uh, They had only a little bit of fuzz on their heads, according to the manual. They look a good deal like human beings. The skin color is a little different. Uh, it doesn't say quite how they were dressed. We can assume flight suits of some kind. And they uh, seem very friendly. And uh, the description in that booklet is uh, what was uh, match or what matches uh, uh, a United States Air Force test pilot who said, I was at the meeting with uh, aliens and Eisenhower, and he said they looked something like human beings. Uh, It's what I call, uh, just as this author's opinion, uh, cousins of humanity, that they came from perhaps a planet much like Earth. They grew up with much the same uh, body structure, and their skin color turned a little different because of maybe the harshness of the sun on their planet or a little more difficult to breathe, which might have affected the size of their nostrils or their lungs, giving them just a slightly misshapen look. That's how the, uh, the eyewitness, the test pilot, said in the early 1980s when this story exploded uh, in the pages of the National Enquirer and a few other uh, newspapers picked up the story and ran it. The test pilot says, I was brought in for my expertise in aerodynamics. They wanted uh, someone who really knew how to um, assess any kind of extraterrestrial uh, craft if it landed. And by golly, he said three did. um, Three were circular shaped and two were cigar shaped. And they landed at the air base and that uh, Eisenhower met them. But I don't believe he touched them or shook hands with them. And they did speak English, which makes you uh, certainly believe that the aliens had been uh, monitoring uh, America or humankind for a long time Mm -hmm. and uh, knew our language. And it was no problem to speak and it was no problem for them to breathe our atmosphere. So uh, the test pilot said I was one of these six other guys who were surrounding Eisenhower just to make sure And everyone had died by the early 1980s. And he said, I'm the last one alive. I want to tell this story before I pass away so the story doesn't die out. And he swore it was true that these aliens were uh, friendly and they were unarmed and they came out and they spoke to Eisenhower. And uh, they got into the topic of atomic testing, which really concerned them. And I think that's a pretty valid reason for landing and speaking to the leader of the free world, don't you? I would say so, absolutely. Uh, Now, do we have a name for that person, Paul, by chance? Uh, No, I was never able to find out the test pilot's name. His whole life and career would have been ruined if he had ever given it. So the author of an article at the time, uh, the man who spoke to, kept it uh, an anonymous name, uh, kept him secret, And I believe it's secret to this day. Now, I give an opinion in my book over who it could be, but I admit it's still a bit uh, conjecture. Uh, The man I have in mind fits the mold perfectly, and he just passed away a few years ago. I'll leave it that mysterious so you have to buy the book and find out who I'm talking about. (laughs) But uh, this man who came forward around early to mid-1982 Uh, We cannot overlook the fact that uh, General Nathan Twining, the head of the Air Force at the time, later Eisenhower's uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, a very trusted individual, had passed away in March of 82. And I think he might have been present and might have been the last authority figure uh, involved 
either there or knowing about it. And once he died, uh, that uh, made perfect sense for the test pilot to step forward and try to find someone who would listen to his tale and take it quite seriously, uh, which I think we can do. Well, let's let's rewind a little bit to uh, the, the communication between Eisenhower and the, the supposed ETs. You mentioned atomic testing, uh, but is there anything else we can sort of glean from what was said during this meeting? What what message were these ETs trying to convey, and how did Eisenhower actually respond to it all? Do we have anything on that, Paul? Right. Uh, he responded, unfortunately, quite negatively. Uh, the uh, aliens offered their friendship and an education program for the people of Earth to wake us up that we are hardly alone in the universe, that there are other beings out there, and they are just one example. Eisenhower wasn't too thrilled with that idea, but uh, things got worse for him when the aliens put on two shows. First, they showed Eisenhower what their aircraft can do. Um, Their five craft apparently lifted up into the air and spun around and darted around in the atmosphere. According to the test pilot, it was a dazzling display, and uh, it probably unnerved Eisenhower because He was a licensed pilot, and he knew all about America's Air Force and our uh, aero-technical plans for the future, and everything the alien showed us uh, in that meeting outstripped what um, mankind had, and in particular the U.S. Air Force. It was probably dazzling but uh, unnerving, is how I would call it, to see uh, airships that could fly far faster and maybe stop on a dime in the air and, and spin around or Uh, come down and land with a tripod very quickly. Uh, We didn't have anything like this. And Eisenhower, being an old army man, was concerned about how this would impact the people of the United States if they ever saw this going on in our skies or if these aliens decided to land somewhere else and say, hey, we'd like to educate you, uh, you to our existence and tell you all about us and how people would react to that, probably sheer panic, quite frankly. Uh, Many people would have um, maybe even reached for their shotgun (laughs) in this country if they had seen such a thing, Uh, remembering the old radio show, The War of the Worlds, in which people did grab their guns in panic uh, back in uh, Halloween of 1938, uh, a radio program that had aliens landing and trying to invade uh, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. It was a very famous story. And people of that generation remembered it well. So that's another factor Eisenhower had to keep in mind that, wow, we really need to hold this meeting in secret. And then he asked them not to do this, not to show yourselves too much. If you have to be here poking around, taking samples, looking over our planet, our uh, life forms, animal, human and, and plant form. But then the aliens really did something that uh, sealed the deal that uh, Eisenhower reacted with great discomfort. They made themselves disappear. That is, they became invisible to the naked eye, according to the test pilot. He said Eisenhower was most unnerved by this. The test pilot said, we knew they were there, but we couldn't see them. And then they reappeared, apparently uh, having moved a little bit. And if you're going to offer an education program to the people of Earth and you can cloak yourself or make yourself invisible, dematerialize and rematerialize, however they did it, that's got to be awfully scary. Uh, The thought of spies, murderers, bank robbers, rapists, thieves of all kind, learning this technique to cloak yourself. Uh, Somehow uh, it had to have been the last straw for Eisenhower. and And he said... To the aliens, you're going to have to go. We can't have this. Our world is not ready for this. UFOs seem to be invading both our skies and our news outlets like never before. And more people are starting to look up and are wondering who or what might be out there. In 2016, Ryan Sprague introduced the world to countless UFO encounters that had never been made public before. And now, in the second edition of his book, he revisits these events and introduces brand new UFO cases in Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon. How have these events changed the lives of those involved? And what might it tell us about the phenomenon? 
with in-depth follow-ups, brand new chapters, and detailed testimony from credible witnesses and insight from those in the psychological, academic, and scientific fields. Somewhere in the skies, a human approach to the UFO phenomenon weaves together a story of stories, attempting to get to the heart of these mysteries one experience at a time. Available now on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. To learn more, visit somewhereintheskies.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, so I, I can understand that. We're not ready. And, you know, Eisenhower was a very... A very uh, strategic individual. I mean, he could assess a situation front and back, left and right, up and down in, you know, the blink of an eye. So you have to think he probably had the best for humankind in mind when this meeting occurred. I mean, we'll never truly know, right? But um, here's something too, Paul. So the lore of the story, you know, was that Eisenhower was whisked away you know, for an emergency dental issue. This is kind of what we all thought was the cover story. You know, that doesn't seem to be the case. Am I correct? That's correct. That story is actually true in the sense that Eisenhower, the very next night, was uh, seated at a dinner at the Smoke Tree Ranch, trying to get his mind back to normal, you know. And he uh, was uh, chewing on a duck leg, bit into some buckshot, which broke off an incisor in his teeth, and he needed emergency medical treatment at a dentist's office. I talked to a woman whose best friend was at that dinner, and she said the, they apologized up and down to Eisenhower and said the boys went out shooting ducks this morning, and that's why the meat's fresh, but it's still got, you know, grape shot, shards of metal in it. No wonder Eisenhower had a dental emergency. <laughs> so they called up a dentist right away on Saturday night, the 20th, and said, we need you, the president has uh, injured a tooth, and we need you to uh, examine it and treat him right away. Apparently, the dentist's reaction was, yeah, right, the president. Yeah, I'll sure be there. And he hung up. And like an hour or two later, they were waiting and waiting. And they, they called him back and said, where are you? The president is waiting. And they assured him this was no joke. So the uh, dentist, Dr. Francis Purcell, uh, got in his car and drove very hurriedly over to his dental office. And there was Eisenhower. And he was treated that night. Uh, the uh, Eisenhower... Uh, presidential library has records for him being treated. Uh, and he went later to his own dentist to have some more work done on this temporary uh, crown that was put in that night. And so uh, that just simply is a true story uh, that uh, gets a little conflated with the fact that Eisenhower did go out to Edwards Air Force Base, but it was the night before, Friday the 19th. It's uh, also amusing and a sad reflection on the state of our uh, media 
that the press found out that Eisenhower rushed out of his smoke tree ranch Saturday night, and the rumor was he needed emergency medical treatment. Well, the reporters went nuts and decided Eisenhower had died, and one even filed a report with, uh, like, the Associated Press or UPI, I forget which, and said Eisenhower died tonight, and then right. he had to... Uh, retract that when Eisenhower uh, press statement or press spokesman came in and gave a statement and said Eisenhower was chewing on a chicken leg, which is not true. It was a duck leg and uh, hurt his tooth and he'll be back uh, in church Sunday morning, which he certainly was. So uh, it, it just goes to show you how the media sitting around bored could snowball a bunch of gossip into uh, a president died, probably a case of Franklin Roosevelt died while on vacation in Warm Springs, Georgia. Maybe Eisenhower has died on vacation in Palm Springs, California. But uh, the whole thing was a wacky misunderstanding. Uh, it really had nothing to do with the alien uh, landing, but uh, it makes for an entertaining, uh, but uh, again, kind of sad reflection on the, uh, the state of the media to get that carried away without any facts, any proof at all. You know, if anything, I don't think the media's gotten any better, Paul, but uh, that's a story for another <laughs> yeah. time. But, uh, wow, could you, okay, so let's say, let's say this is true. This meeting occurred. What a weekend for this guy, you know? I mean, meeting with aliens and then <laughs> having to go for emergency dental uh, appointment and everything, and then to beat a church on Sunday. <laughs> that is right. a sweeping it, weekend. It had to be a real come down, but Eisenhower had a printed schedule, and if he didn't show up, it's going to start looking really weird, and the press will really go nuts. So he showed up at church. He showed up at golf uh, on Monday. Uh, there was a big dinner um, Sunday night. He showed up for that. A bunch of uh, locals and a few celebrities were there at the Smoke Treat Ranch Sunday night. But we need to focus on that date, the 19th of February, as it comes in a little handy with some other U.S. presidents. Yeah, yeah, we will get there for sure. Um, well, I got to ask you this, Paul, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but uh, why do you think if aliens were to come here and to meet with um, a, a world leader, I guess the leader of the free world, as we call them in the United States, why here? Why us? Why us Americans? Do you think these meetings were occurring with other world leaders or diplomats and we were just one stop on this like diplomacy tour of the universe and the in the planet? Like, why was it Eisenhower and us? Uh, that's a very, very good question. Uh, it's quite possible the aliens did try to meet with other nuclear powers like Russia or China or England. And a quick side story that didn't uh, make my book. But uh, I found out uh, about a month ago that um, uh, Prince Philip in England has a very great private interest in UFOs and he collects books. So that um, he had apparently learned of a UFO sighting on the grounds of Lord Mountbatten's estate in 1955, uh, very close to the Eisenhower encounter. And some say Eisenhower had a second encounter in February 55. And uh, this British one on the, the the rural out in the countryside lord mountbatten uh, mansion they believed the man's story that he said he saw this spacecraft and he went out in the snow to look for prints and such so that gives you an example of maybe aliens did come down at the other nuclear superpowers but what they asked eisenhower at edwards air force base is could you please stop all these crazy reckless atomic testing that you're doing we were uh, like kids playing with matches, frankly, in those days. We were setting off nuclear bombs in little experiments in the atmosphere, uh, on the land, in the ground, and underwater, and it was creating tremendous radiation and pollution, things leaking into outer space, maybe a, uh, a genuinely affecting uh, otherworldly creatures, and they finally decided to land, to go for it, and to um, speak to someone face-to-face, -face, and there was no one better to do this then, as you say, the leader of the free world, the most popular man in America, if not the world, President Eisenhower, who was in charge of the atomic testing, they asked him to stop and to get rid of your atomic weapons. And he apparently said, I'm not going to disarm unilaterally. Uh, you know, the other nations of the world will have to do so also. So, again, it makes you really wonder, did the aliens go uh, find a rural, remote spot in Russia? 
and China mm -hmm. and also speak to their leaders. I uh, don't have any information. Those were closed secret societies to America back then. That was the Cold War. And uh, to this day, uh, we're still trying to uh, get uh, Russia to unleash its files and find out what, you know, what the KGB knew. Uh, there was a brief flurry of opening such matters uh, after the Soviet Union fell in around 1990, 91, and then they closed them all up and Boy, there are plenty of juicy secrets there, I'll bet. I can only imagine. And hey, you know, I mean, I understand if 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 what you're saying is true, and this is what Eisenhower, how he responded to them, the, the supposed ETs saying, you know, get rid of your nuclear arms. I mean, we have... We have theories that maybe Russia had something to do with the Roswell crash or this or that case. And um, they wanted to destabilize the United States in such a way. And you have to wonder, maybe Eisenhower, maybe there were theories that uh, this whole ET meeting was was disguised and it came from Russia and they wanted us to get rid of our nukes and they build up their... Uh, like, I'm, I know I'm getting really out there, Paul, but I mean, at this point, it's anyone's guess as to what yeah, this all Yeah, there were so many be. unknowns. How was Eisenhower to know what was going on in other countries or even another part of America? Exactly. Uh, it was another factor of him nervously saying, could you not show yourselves around here? We're not ready for you yet and react negatively. Uh, I include in my book also... Another factor, another story that uh, uh, a UFO researcher came up with, I don't know if it's valid, but he said he heard the aliens offered uh, clean energy technology. Just going to hand it over. And the, the sound of that is very exciting, isn't it? We yeah. could get rid of our coal and fuel, fossil fuel burning uh, engines, plants and factories and cars and trucks. But Eisenhower turned that down as well. And when you think about it, uh, brand new uh, cutting edge technology, it would wreck the auto industry, maybe the steel industry, wreck the economy. Uh, it would turn everything upside down when you would have to explain where we got it from and how it works. So uh, if that story is true, you kind of want to bang your head on a desk somewhere because we polluted the planet pretty badly in the last 60 years. And we could have uh, obviated all of that by accepting the alien offer if that uh, tale is uh, valid. Mm -hmm. But it makes you wonder, uh, were these like um, little enticements thrown out there, like a banana on the end of a stick for uh, Eisenhower to go for? And again, we must emphasize Eisenhower was an old military strategist. He, he saw World War II firsthand. He even toured the Auschwitz death camps. And he saw what human beings can do to each other <laughs> and how powerful people get carried away. And so he had to have been suspicious of um, the aliens and the fact that uh, what if they were a Trojan horse and there were invaders coming after this initial friendly group? He, he As a military man, he had to be suspicious and on his defensive and uh, not just be a gullible fool and accept everything he's told. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe this was just one uh, intelligence, extraterrestrial intelligence. That doesn't mean there's not malevolent ones out there somewhere, too. That's so. right. It'd be like opening a Pandora's box if you yeah. let these guys in. What about uh, 10, 12, 30 others, and some of them not very friendly? When mm -hmm. they see the floodgates open, they think, hey, everybody come on down. Well, you did mention a second meeting. This is really interesting to me. Um, Can you tell us a little about this supposed meeting, when and where, and... Uh, what you found about found out about this Holloman Air Force Base? We know this place well from a different supposed landing as well. So yeah, what do you got on this one? This stems from the great research of the late great Arthur Campbell, who passed away uh, within the last year or two. I didn't get a chance to talk to him, but he put almost everything he knew on on the internet online, and he found some witnesses that say Eisenhower. Uh, went to Georgia for a little vacation and then snuck away to Holloman Air Force Base on what was uh, Air Force One. Now, does that sound like a, a familiar method of operation? There was mm -hmm. even a party for the media at the hotel in Georgia to distract them while Eisenhower sneaked away. And uh, it, it's like they played the Palm Springs trick all over again. The media fell for it again, distracted with free food and drink and entertainment at the hotel. So Eisenhower got an overnight trip. Um, I think he arrived actually by afternoon and came back uh, late uh, overnight 
and snuck back to his estate in Georgia in February of 55. According to Art Campbell's research, Eisenhower's plane was out on the runway at Holloman, and two extraterrestrial-looking spaceships came down out of the sky, circular, your typical silver metal flying saucers. One hovered in the air and remained there, and the other landed, and Eisenhower was seen, supposedly, walking out of his airplane and over to it and stepped inside. And uh, there would have been a real reason for this meeting if the two had come to a formal agreement, a contract or a treaty, as we've heard many times, that Eisenhower formed a, a signed agreement and he would have to have put it into print and uh, possibly the aliens would have had to have agreed to what uh, the wording was and how they would go about maybe secretly landing on uh, planet Earth, if not out in the Nevada desert, according to one document, and that uh, they could continue in private to land and inspect our air, our sea, our land, our animals, and the human race, and we in return would get technology, possibly, or uh, information to help us. Uh, that's in my book. I explain a little more at length, but uh, this would explain why Eisenhower needed a second meeting, and he pulled it off. Uh, apparently, Art Campbell said there were witnesses that said Eisenhower went into a, an airbase, a, a small theater there. They gathered all the personnel and swore them to secrecy, said, we cannot let this uh, story out. You're going to have to keep your mouth shut, just like he swore them to secrecy at uh, Edwards Air Force Base the year before. Then he hopped on a plane and flew back to Georgia for this quail hunting vacation. And no one was the wiser until Art Campbell dug into this uh, in the 1980s and 90s. And so I tipped my cap uh, to this very fine gentleman who was like me. He was from Missouri. There you go. Yeah, it's so, so fascinating, Paul. I mean, all of this. And um, I guess kind of wrapping up. Uh, what's in the book, because we don't want to give away too much, obviously, um, but right. your last chapter, you cover Eisenhower after his presidency and his meetings with a lot of interesting people that we would come to know pretty darn well here in the United States and beyond. So would you mind teasing us a little bit about uh, these meetings that Eisenhower had after his presidency and what it could all mean in terms of you know, this this meeting in what we now know is the UFO cover-up, I guess. When I was researching uh, whatever agreement Eisenhower reached with aliens, I would uh, press this into, type it into the search engine on my computer, and one came back, 10-year agreement. And I'm thinking, why 10-year agreement? Who's, who came up with this? And I couldn't find any more, and it became very frustrating. But I found out the President of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson, flew from Washington, D.C., all the way out to Palm Springs. He met with Eisenhower. Uh, there was a second Air Force One on the tarmac at the airport. Some monkey business might well have been going on. They met on uh, February 20th, one day after uh, the exact 10-year anniversary, in case there was an agreement that needed updating or, uh, you know, uh, signing on to by this president. Uh, it turns out that there were a few gaps in the schedule, and Eisenhower did meet with uh, LBJ a couple of times. They could have met more. I don't know quite what was going on, but uh, there were rumors uh, that uh, there was extraterrestrial material at a local airbase that JFK flew out to uh, see. He flew out in March of 1962 and met with Eisenhower and posed for pictures with Ike at his Palm Springs home, and then he had gaps in his schedule, and uh, I try to piece together what could have happened. Uh, JFK UFO rumors are a little sketchy, I'll admit, and uh, there's uh, other presidents that flew into Palm Springs, um, future presidents like Reagan, uh, Elder Bush, and Ford, and that um, back in uh, the later 60s, on the exact anniversary of the 15th um, Year of the uh, Eisenhower encounter with aliens, LBJ flew back to Palm Springs and met with Eisenhower. Mm. Uh, you almost can't make this stuff up. February 19th, 1968. And then February 19th is a date for the Richard Nixon, Jackie Gleason encounter, which was at an Air Force base with armed security guards around. And they saw something otherworldly 
in a laboratory there. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, what in the world is going on here in private that they can't tell us? Uh, I think we're able to piece together something that at least these presidents back in the day knew we were being visited and that there was an agreement that they um, kept hushed up and everything's been fine. We haven't been invaded or assaulted in any way. So, you know, why upset the apple cart? Keep the status quo going. I don't know too much about uh, more recent presidents and what they know, but you see them on Jimmy Kimmel Live or <laughs> uh, on Stephen Colbert, and they uh, these hosts will ask them, you know, are we alone? Are we being visited or not? And they give a flippant answer and uh, laugh and chuckle or just say, oh, it's a matter of national security. But I think that's your answer. I mean, if uh, the answer was absolutely not, they'd say so. Right. But uh, they don't want to tell you the truth, so they just kind of skirt around it. And uh, uh, it's very frustrating, but maybe someday a former president will tell us, or maybe even one in office. I mean, who knows? And I do wonder, you know, do these presidents, do they want to be the disclosure president? You know, you really have to wonder what kind of baggage would come with that, and that will be your legacy, you know, so right. I have to um, wonder if that's why the suppression continues, like you said, to keep that status quo. Uh, you are quite correct. Would it upset the apple cart and damage the stock market and the economy and put people out of work to this day? Uh, of course, it's not too good right now anyway. So that's another factor in uh, keeping this information bottled up. The economy is not strong. If people started quitting their jobs or quitting school and decided to uh, study extraterrestrials or even worship them, that was something Eisenhower was uh, apparently worried about. Uh, people don't seem to realize he was a very devoutly uh, Christian gentleman. He right. had himself baptized in his first month or so in the White House. He's the only American president to have himself baptized. He took uh, In God We Trust so seriously, he made sure it was on all of our currency. He was a uh, church-going Christian, and he was not open to the idea that maybe people would start worshiping the aliens and forget about their religious faith which takes us back to World War II and that incident with Winston Churchill, doesn't it? Yep, exactly, exactly. Yep, uh, you do have to wonder these, uh, you know, kind of um, hypothesizing of what would change if all of this were true. And the the possibilities are literally endless. So, um, you know, I remember when I first heard you were coming out with this book, Paul, I I didn't think there was much to any of this, as I'm sure some of my listeners and viewers felt as well. But I mean, after reading what you brought forth and, and the documents you uncovered, we didn't even really go into those, but we'll leave that for the reader and, uh, and whatnot. I have to ask you on a personal level, what do you think? Do you personally buy into this after I do. researching I think it? it really did happen. I've heard from some various people who've read my book and said, Paul, you just blew my mind. I was skeptical at first, and you convinced me. I can put together what I feel is a pretty strong circumstantial evidence case and let the reader decide. I try to cram in as much information as I could find to really research this and not put a book full of loose conspiracy theories without sources together or some junk, you know, that you re end up regretting spending your money for. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of good reviews and people have been very complimentary and I'm very appreciative. And I think that um, if you uh, read it open-mindedly and piece it together, as I did, I go along like it's a puzzle. Let's piece it together and come to the conclusion that, yeah, I think Eisenhower did meet these friendly human-type beings, and uh, it went peacefully. It had to be kept covered up. I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, there's this new legislation today that Congress has like 180 days of the, the intelligence services yep. to open up those files. And this is a poss very mind-boggling possibility that maybe some older files like uh, Cape Girardeau 1941, Roswell 47, or the Eisenhower encounters could be opened up first and not uh, blow people away with like what's going on today <laughs> if we're being threatened by someone up in space. These are more harmless older stories. Uh, some of them involving uh, the little grays, as we sometimes refer to them as. Uh, I believe uh, Colonel Philip Corso, who said that uh, it was uh, his understanding that the gray beings are like uh, little bio robots, that they were created 
probably by human-type aliens or others as uh, almost like servants or slaves. Uh, they were compared in one document to hunting dogs that, <laughs> that would go out in little spaceships and do what they're told. And that's why they don't seem to have any feelings, right. any uh, sympathy for any cattle they may mutilate or human they may abduct and put back that they're not really human or uh, humanoids. They were created almost like in a factory, and that's why when they crash, as in Cape Girardeau or Roswell, that aliens are not too particularly upset. That's like, well, we'll go back to the factory and get some more. <laughs> they never went back for their dead, did they? That's such a good point. They, uh, they're definitely... Uh expendable i guess at that point right. um well okay so zooming out you know you did mention this uap task force that we have coming at us now in 2021 what do you hope people will take away from your book most and how can they take what they learn from your book and infuse it into this world of ufos today I think uh, it's much like what the aliens wanted in 1954, to educate humanity that we are not alone. We are being visited by other species, other races, some of them friendly, maybe some of them a little cold-blooded, that uh, this one human-type race knows what's going on here and speak English and they care about our environment, even if we recklessly uh, destroy it. Uh, they uh, want us to live in peace and live in harmony, as corny as that may sound. And it probably, uh, you would assume, they're still buzzing around today and observing us, hoping we don't tear ourselves apart and have a better future. Uh, it's something that uh, some people have may not given much thought to before, and maybe uh, this book will help them uh, as the aliens wanted to help open our minds to our presence. Uh, unfortunately, we have some people today who think the Earth is flat, and uh, all those globes and pictures of the Earth as a round planet are somehow false. And that gives you an indication we need a lot of education going on, don't we? We do. We need a crash course more now than ever. Absolutely, brother. Well, I mean, this book was definitely a crash course for me. And again, I'm going to say it. I would not have written the foreword if I did not believe in this journey that you were taking and what you brought forward. So I hope that's an indication to my, my listeners that this book is definitely worth your time. Again, I was one of those people who scoffed at it when I first heard about it, and now I'm coming out on the other side being like, huh, I, I think this happened. So, man, <laughs> if that's of an, any indication, I hope people will check it out. Thank you for allowing me to be a small part of this journey you're taking with this story, Paul. But, um, of course, before we go, where can we find the book and everything you are up to, my friend? Uh, the book can be found, of course, on Amazon.com, and you can go to also to foundationsbooks.net. And if you're looking for the revised, updated 2020 version of my uh, Mo 41 book on the Cape Girardeau UFO crash, you can go to argusbooks.com, where shipping is free, or also to um, Amazon.com. Uh, it comes in all kinds of e-form and Kindle and such, and uh, I'm just so pleased with the uh, the response. I've heard from a couple of television producers, and so we may see some of this in the future on the small screen. I'd like to see it on the big screen. It's such an awesome story, isn't it? The president of the United States meeting face-to-face -face with aliens and seeing their craft buzz around. It has such a disappointing end, though, doesn't it? He has to tell him to get, get lost. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no one ever said these things all have happy endings, man. But hey, yeah. I think yeah. this story is still being written, and Spielberg is still around, man. So maybe we'll get him to take a crack at it. But no, I commend you. I congratulate you on the release of the book, man. And I have to thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies. Well, thank you so much for writing the forward and having me on as your guest. I hope we get a, a good response, and uh, maybe I can produce a sequel, The Nixon Encounter. We'll see. To be continued. That's it for this week's episode. If you haven't already, please take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review Someone in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever possible. It truly helps us gain visibility, get featured, and find new listeners. Many of the audio interviews you hear on the show are also available in full video format over on the Ryan Sprague YouTube channel, along with a ton of other exclusive video content. 
so be sure to head on over to YouTube and subscribe and turn on notifications to be the first to know when new content's released. Again, that's the Ryan Sprague YouTube channel. You can find the show on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. If you have a UFO story you'd like to share, we are always taking submissions for our Witness Accounts series, where you tell your story in your own words. To learn more and to reach me personally, use the contact tab on the website, somewhereintheskies.com. Thank you as always to the E1 Podcast Network, ACAST, KGRA Radio, and especially to you for listening. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.